This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to I'm Absolutely Fine, the podcast from the middle that looks at all the glamour and indignity of being a grown-up. Hello everybody, I'm Annabelle and I'm absolutely fine, but they say the punishment should fit the crime. I say the I'm absolutely fine should fit the podcast guest. It does not today <laughs> because our podcast guest is very elegant and is literally poetic and we're going to go to wonderful, soothing, medicinal places. But my absolutely fine is very unedifying and typically undignified. Last week, my child had nits and I deloused us both for two days running. And then I was sitting on a Zoom last Thursday morning, semi-concentrating, I have to admit, because at the same time I was texting my hairdresser and saying, can you fit me in for a trim this afternoon? Please, I beg you, please, I beg you. Which is how I book my hairdressing appointments, which are few and far between. She said, yes, all right, come in at six. You nightmare. I said, great. And I was on the Zoom and I suddenly started to fizz and I thought, oh my God, oh my God, what have I still got nits? It's too much. I can't at my age go in and, be, and then they have to sort of disinfect, disembowel the entire hairdresser. What am I going to do? So I said to the person I was working with, who thank goodness I know very well, just give me a second. <laughs> I'm just going to pop upstairs. So I popped upstairs and I thought, I don't have any time. I had the bottle, bottle of sort of knit oil. It's got this very oily texture. And I thought, I don't have time to just spray it in a specific way. I'll just tip it over my head. It'll take two seconds and I'll, I'll pull my hair back and, and no one will know. No one will know. It'll be, it'll be fine. I'll get away with this. And I went back down and I sat there and she just started laughing because as I was trying to be very professional, because now, of course, I was sort of over-delivering on the call because I'd been, you know, booking hair appointments and pouring knit oil over my head. It had started to drip down my forehead and down my neck and was forming a knit oil ring oh. around the neckline of the T-shirt I was wearing. And I'm not sure, in terms of midlife indignity, gets much worse than that. There's so much to unpack. I'm thinking so many things. One, I'm thinking I'm sitting quite close to you and this is making me feel quite bad again. Secondly, oh, come I'm thinking... on, I deloused myself <laughs> so many times now. Secondly, I'm remembering another really high-powered friend of ours who was sitting in a meeting once and a knit fell onto her notebook. Yes, she scratched <laughs> her head and a crawly little knit <laughs> fell onto her notebook. And it was in front of all of the higher-ups. So... so it does happen. It is part of the rainbow, part of life's rich texture. And we shall never speak of it again. How are you, Emma? Oh, well, uh, thanks, Annabelle. I'm absolutely fine. And I'm also equally unedifying and inelegant today with a my I'm absolutely fine because mine is about my Achilles heel, i.e. shoes. The usual issue that I have, can you find a pair of comfortable shoes that don't look comfortable? Is there such a thing? And the answer, well, so far, no. And also that you hate my shoes. I don't like your <laughs> shoes. 
<laughs> and historically, we have this sort of, you know... I love you, but I don't like your shoes. No, I, there's something about my taste I admire your bravery when it comes to your... <laughs> Nobody wants to hear that, Annabelle. Okay. Nobody wants anybody to say, I admire your bravery. It's basically like, you look like an idiot. Anyway, so today, I, I, I was wearing new shoes. I have bought new shoes, which is an act of hope over triumph or whatever and triumph um, over experience yes exactly that too hope and, over experience yes hope of over everything yeah. and we basically had this extremely awkward conversation where i looked down and said i've got new shoes and you looked up and said please don't make me look at them <laughs> <laughs> and it's like a measure of our friendship because well, we I, I was scared of my own reaction to your <laughs> shoes i didn't want to you know take the wind out of your lovely sails basically we are all desperate for a little pocket of peace that we can tuck ourselves into from the knits and the shoes and the indignity of life a mini escape that is not demanding or exhausting or expensive and so we are delighted that our guest today has found a way to calm the wild voices in her head Ali Aziri is a poetry anthologist and her latest book 365 poems for life out in October harnesses our extraordinary literary resources to offer if not a solution then a balm for the soul of course, you might be thinking, how is reading a poem a day going to make me feel less mad, vulnerable, sad, tired, stretched, defeated? Well, Ali is here to talk to us about poetry and how it can inspire us and divert us and help us through the muddy times. Ali, how are you? Well, thank you for inviting me on. And I am absolutely fine. But the honest answer, because I was thinking of other things I could say, but the honest answer is that my second daughter has just left to university and it's difficult. Yeah. And weird and is this, strange. Is this the baby? No, my middle one. So I do have one more at home. Right. But it is. It's just as hard as the first one, actually. But actually, luckily, since I'm a poetry anthologist, I found two <laughs> poems <laughs> that address the empty nest syndrome. What does the empty nest syndrome feel like? Well, there is an element of pleasure because you think, oh, phew, I don't have to worry about that person or not worry about that person but get that food in you know for that person so there is a sort of bit of freedom that comes with it that's a sort of honest way that I hadn't really heard before and that is true there I think that you sort of think okay they've gone they're sorting out their own food and shopping and all of that but it is weird it's a bit like you've sort of lost a leg and when you look at your finder phone and they're in different places it just sort of feels you know, wrong. It just feels wrong. Like, how can my family be in all different places? But there are actually two really, really good poems that I've sent to friends before in the past because I'm quite often the person that people come to for, ah, you know, can you find something for my son's broken heart or my granny's funeral? Or, and I really, really like being asked for those sort of, you know, what's the poem? Oh, that good, because we're about to okay, ask you good. for lots. <laughs> um, and there actually are. There's one by Caroline Duffy and one by Cecil Day-Lewis that are absolutely brilliant that just completely addressed the sort of empty nest in a really beautiful way. In that way that poetry can do, which is the great poet manages to put in words what, you know, most of us are sort of struggling to express. And therefore just can be incredibly helpful. So you're like, oh, those words, that is how I'm feeling. So I feel I've got a sort of friend in grief and someone who's gone through it before and expressed it really well. And then I can read it and share it and you know, concentrate on it. And just the whole act of reading the poem is helpful. Which poems are they? Would you like to read one to us? Well, yeah, actually, and I put them in my new book, even though I wasn't there yet, but I have found that over the time they have been um, helpful. There's one that Cecil Day-Lewis, who was the father of Daniel Day-Lewis, 
who was our poet laureate. I mean, he died in 1972. And he wrote this poem when his son Sean left home at 18. Shall I read it? It's really good. Yeah, yeah. please. Yeah. It's called Walking Away. Oh, God, I it want is. to cry. No, me too. This yeah. is going to be awful. Wait, it's the last two lines that I think really, really get you and yet really help. It's 18 years ago, almost to the day, a sunny day with the leaves just turning, the touchline's new ruled since I watched you play your first game of football. Then, like a satellite wrenched from its orbit, go drifting away behind a scatter of boys. I can see you walking away from me towards the school with the pathos of a half-fledged thing set free into a wilderness, the gate of one who finds no path where the path should be. That hesitant figure eddying away like a winged seed loosened from its parent stem has something I never quite grasp to convey about nature's give and take, the small, the scorching ordeals which fire one's irresolute clay. I've had worse partings, but none that so gnaws at my mind still. Perhaps it is roughly saying what God alone could perfectly show. How selfhood begins with a walking away and love is proved in the letting go. <laughs> right, okay, it's finished me off completely. Yeah. What can poems do that prose cannot do? And well, how, did you, did, how did you unfurl their power for yourself? I think what a poem does is it intensifies its feeling. So it can sort of intensify the humour, it can intensify the sadness or the mourning or the feeling. And it sort of turbocharges language. And one of the reasons I really like it, and I've always liked it since childhood, is because it's very short. Yes. <laughs> and I think that Good for I, lazy people. Yeah, I think that I definitely went through quite a long period in my childhood when I didn't want to read a novel. I think I was just you know, sort of put off by its length or I'm, I'm not really sure what. And, and a poem just sort of spoke to me and I, I had this anthology of poems that I turned to and I liked an anthology because it had the mix. You know, you could turn to something that made you laugh or something. Was that it the Rattlebag that was the big one when we were kids? Yeah. That, yeah, yeah, that, that was, was put together it? by um, Ted Hughes and Seamus Heaney, completely brilliant. And I think that they may speak to something that you, you didn't even know that you wanted, like walking away that poem before your, that has happened, you know, with your child or before you've even have a, had a child. And I think I used to turn to poems about mourning. I don't think I was a particularly sort of, you know, morbid, sad, you know, that worried a child. But I really liked these poems about grief. And mm. I think it was something I didn't know about, an emotion I didn't know about. And I found them incredibly powerful, like Christina Rossetti's Remember. And so I think they can just sort of be there. And I think the, literally the act of reading a poem makes you slow down. It sort of asks you to slow down and concentrate. And so already it's sort of mindful in itself that you're just concentrating on reading. It isn't mindfulness. You just lose some of the other senses and you sort of quieten. Yes. And so I think literally the act of reading a poem is sort of quietening. And, um, and that's sort of helpful, even if we don't understand, you know, why. We don't do it because we have been told to. Although I think people are advised to, you know, you're sad, you're grieving, you're brokenhearted, just go and read a few poems. I think would help. I don't think poetry can stop a tank or solve grief or anything, but I think it can be there and accompany you through some of the big swirling emotions. I liked what you said. This is an advertisement from BetterHelp Therapy Online. Now you guys know that we're not shy about getting things off our chest. The tiny inconveniences that can ruin our days to the big overwhelming worries that can flood our nights. 
Trouble is, we all got into the habit of saying, I'm absolutely fine. Emily and I added the but specifically to get off autopilot and give ourselves the space to say what we were really experiencing. But we weren't always so free with our inner furies. A few years ago, I began experiencing debilitating panic attacks because I felt I couldn't tell anyone all the things that I was feeling, that I was not coping, that I felt like a failure. I was so ashamed, so I kept it all bottled inside. And of course, it started leaking out. It was only when I found a therapist and began sharing those doubts and insecurities with her that the panic began to dissipate. Because therapy can be a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a registered therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. With over a thousand therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise. And our listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash midult. That's better. H-E-L-P dot com slash midult. Better help, because sometimes the best thing to do is acknowledge that we are not, in fact, absolutely fine. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. said about poetry can be a friend in grief. And I do think that is exactly like you said, a companion to the feelings not only sort of help you articulate or maybe pin down what you're thinking, but also plug you into a kind of support system of identification of the person who's written this poem understands at least part of what you're going through. Yeah, so you feel less alone. But I think it can also help plug you into those feelings because we operate at such speed that sometimes we might be feeling very angry, but in fact we're feeling frightened. Or we might be feeling very resentful, but in fact it's pure hurt. And I think sometimes, I I don't know if you agree, Ali, it can help us to distill the the confusing whirly gig that, you know, we find ourselves in. We're all busy and we're stressed and we're trying to be strong a lot of the time. Yeah, I think it does. It distills emotion. And I think it can do the opposite as well. I think you can find some poems really invigorating and that you could read one in the morning that could, you know, launch you like your sort of espresso onto the day. You know, go seize on, then. the day. Tell yes. me a poem yeah, yeah, that's going to launch me really from definitely... my state of nameless dread <laughs> into the day. I think there's lots of poems that are about seize the day, carpe diem. There's, you know, there's a whole tradition of carpe diem poems, you know, smell the roses, you know, gather ye roses while you may, although that's got a slightly annoying thing about you've got to go and, you know, shag that woman before she gets old but, but there are others on sort of carpe diem or mary oliver who's a superstar in america oh, i love mary oliver yeah but lesser known here wouldn't you say and that and in america she's won the pulitzer prize and yet appeared on oprah and she died recently but like couldn't be a more contemporary poet and she's written the poem that i opened the book with um it's called i worried and it's all about the sort of worries and fears of the indignities of getting older Am I going to get rheumatism, dementia? Uh, you know, why can't I sing? Everyone else can sing. And sort of this list of worries. And then she ends it. I, I, I was so pleased to get permission to include this in the book. And then she ends it with, finally, I saw that worrying had come to nothing and gave it up and took my old body 
and went out into the morning and sang. Yes. I'm very much looking forward to getting to the point where I just realise that worry doesn't work. <laughs> yes, exactly. It just ruins the now. Yes. It doesn't stop the bad stuff happening. <laughs> exactly. I, that's, yeah, I feel like that's a goal, actually. Yes, I always, speaking of getting old, there was always that wonderful poem, which is something like, when I'm, when I'm old, I shall wear purple. Yeah, yeah, I put that in too. Yeah, about Jason. basically getting yeah. old and not giving a fuck and just yeah. decided, being yeah. rebellious, you know. Yeah, I'm going to wear a red hat and I'm going to spit and I'm going to just eat sausages and it's really yeah. funny. Yeah. 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 I love that. I mean, poetry is quite rebellious, actually. I mean, particularly for women, I think of a lot of the female writers of poetry that I love, like Emily Dickinson, for example. It is an act of rebellion whilst being in a very static existence. It's a strange kind of. I know you think of these women doing needlepoint corseted and having no agency of their own whatsoever, and they're writing, they're putting fire onto paper. Yeah, fury and kind of a sense of the world's darkest imaginings and what they feel like. It's amazing. More people write poems than read poems. I can't remember the number, but it's a huge percent of people that read poetry. It always surprises me a bit, like when I hear how many people like to fish. <laughs> how many people like to fish? It's a, like, I think it's the most popular sport. It's the most popular sport. You know, never get, think, never really? get, never get yeah. a fisherman started on yeah. fishing because they really will. My brother's a fisher. fisher yeah, fisherman. No, my husband too. But it is really, really popular. And you're like, really? God, the most popular sport. And um, and a huge amount of people write poetry. They won't even necessarily be the same people that read poetry. Because I think it is something you can turn to just to express thoughts. I mean, teenagers through the centuries have turned to poetry when they've got a broken heart. They may be writing poems about their broken heart or they're turning to the greats to you know speak to them about the broken heart. Um, I've got lots in this about broken heart and endings. I've got a chapter on... It's mainly a really cheery book. Like the, the sort of remit was to make something really uplifting. And so the first chapter, January, is on beginnings and February is on love. But in November, which I always think of as a bit sort of gloomy, what with Armistice Day and war poetry that I haven't particularly included here, but I have done a month on endings and and it might cover the autumn of our life or the end of a relationship or mourning. Um, and I don't find them too sad because, I again, like we said, you know, they can just be a friend in grief or you know, with your broken heart, can just help you understand. It's a sort of sort of only connect, isn't it, as, as Ian Forster said. And it only just reminds connect. us we're not alone. And people have gone through it and then got out the other side. So. But you have a choice about the way that you engage with poetry as you read it. You can decide to kind of, you know, sort of get emotionally naked and roll around, or you can read it from a slight distance and appreciate it in a different way, depending on what you have to give or need to take from it that day. Yeah, yeah, true. I mean... If you think of sort of funeral blues, stop all the clocks that became the sort of giant hit when it was in Four Weddings and a Funeral. And it wasn't like not that well known of an Auden poem. And I think, yeah, to some people it really moved them. And to some people they could just admire its brilliance. Yes. Um, Yeah. So, yeah, I I sort of agree. But it is a really, really good one for heartbreak. (laughs) Okay. what are what are the really good heartbreak poems that are not necessarily about death, Mm -hmm. that are genuinely about a broken heart and a pulverised ego and the mess that some of us will sometimes find ourselves in. I think that Edna St. Vincent Millay, who's a sort of great American 20th century writer, I mean, she sort of died in 1950. She's just gone out of copyright, so we're very safe to read this poem here today. (laughs) (laughs) And that she's got this poem, I mean, it's really powerful and short. It's called Ebb, and it goes like this. I know what my heart is like since your love died. It is like a hollow ledge, 
holding a little pool left there by the side, a little tepid pool, drying inward from the edge. Oh, we talk about living on the edge, don't we? She's not, not happy. happy. I hope she, I hope she felt better. Drying inward. Oh. Yeah. And then um, A. Houseman, who I adore, who was a, a sort of similar time, he went to Oxford. He had this unrequited love for his roommate, Moses Jackson. And we think he flunked his exams because of this sort of heartbreak. And he goes on to have great success as a poet. And that he writes this poem, which sort of works for friendship, for the end of a friendship, which is, you know, can be equally painful, can't it? Mm. But also for love. And it's called Shake Hands. And it's not a very well-known poem. It's also short and incredibly good, I think. Shake hands, we shall never be friends, all's over. I only vex you the more I try. All's wrong that ever I've done or said, and naught to help in this dull head. Shake hands, his luck, goodbye. But if you come to a road where danger or guilt or anguish or shame's to share, be good to the lad that loves you true and the soul that was born to die for you and whistle and I'll be there. Oh, God, no, that's going to make me cry. (laughs) I do think what's so wonderful about the book is sort of centred around dates and themes as well. But I found, you know, that it has a kind of spooky power as well. I was saying we were saying earlier, you know, I was speaking to my daughter who was having an an issue about something. And I said, I'm going to read you today's poem. And And it happened to be If which is a sort of real rallying cry for kind of, you know, the power of standing for what you believe in. And it was completely, like, perfect. And she stood there kind of entranced and then kind of really, like, I felt like she sort of really felt it. And and that's kind of, like, I mean, it has got a sort of magic woo-woo power, There is it? something spooky about poetry. I think that's true. There's magic yeah. woven through it, isn't there? Yeah, I think many act like a spell. And I think that's why we fall in love with them. And if we're lucky to meet them as a child, and you might even fall in love with a poem that you don't even particularly understand, but you don't mind. I had that with Not Waving But Drowning. I didn't understand Mm -hmm. that it wasn't literal. I did sort of imagine it was this man, you know, not waving but drowning. And actually Stevie Smith was sort of speaking metaphorically that she was struggling sort of mentally, but it just had a, you know, sort of cast a spell over me. And I think the poems, like the hymns from school or songs we like, we maybe don't stop to think about the words but they just do have a spell. Maybe it's the music in them um, because, you know, a poem is has the music within the words, whereas a lyric is, you know, the words that goes with music. And, and I think there is something magical and, and I think it is something for everyone if they just come across the few that they like. And like you were saying before, it might be just before we started, that, you know, there's some poems that might alienate people because they're just too tricky. And you go from loving nursery rhymes at school to then some really sort of dense, difficult Keats ode. And you're like, whoa, this is not for me. Um, but actually, there's so many in between. And there's so many written today that are just got a really chatty style that speak to us today. And Emily and I were reading yesterday and I remembered that I had great love for Wendy Cope, mm. whose poetry is so accessible, also powerful. But, you know, she speaks our language. And are there any other um, poets that you could recommend for people who want sort of starter poems, for people who are really not interested in, you know, wading through iambic pentameter? Well, I think Wendy Cope's a sort of brilliant choice. And I think Mary Oliver, who I mentioned before, you know, really just you know, speaks to to all of us. She's a lot on nature and feelings. And then Caroline Duffy, who was our poet laureate, 
until Simon Armitage took over. She's also really direct, simple. She's also got another amazing poem called Empty Nest about her daughter leaving home. And she's funny. Um, John Cooper Clark, like you were saying about, you know, there's sort of rebels in poetry. You know, that's a sort of really rebel voice and really funny. And they're very, very talented. So Wendy Cope, you sort of hear and you sort of think it's sort of comically brilliant, but she's also writing within a particular form. You know, she's it's actually extremely clever, you know, what she pulls off. Like anyone. I always think comedy is so underrated, isn't it? Whether it's in film or a novel. You know, it's so hard to do. And yet, you know, people don't sort of give it the credit. I think they're very good. Seamus Heaney, also, like, you know, very direct and powerful. There's quite a lot in my book. And then you know, new, new American writers. Nikita Gill, who really speaks especially, writes for young women. She's all over um, Instagram. She's very easy to find and uh, and brilliant. Yeah, and she really speaks to the power of the, you know, young woman. There's a lot writing today. It's really big. You know, spoken word's really big, like K-Tempest. And I think at universities now, you know, there's a lot of spoken word gigs and that crossover, George the Poet, K-Tempest, Holly McNeish, you know, they're really, really fun. And they they sort of speak to all of us. And um, I've tried in this book to do a real mix that you you do open it and if is there and I wondered lonely as a cloud is there, again I think that's a really underrated poem because it really really is good and speaks to when we're feeling lonely you know what can we do, we just imagine that field of daffodils that's what we can do when we're sitting you know alone on our couch as it says in the poem, so there's like advice in quite a lot of poems and inspiration. What other poems would you prescribe for loneliness, which is obviously the epidemic that we find ourselves living in? Well, alongside I Wandered Lonely as a Cloud, um, Wendell Berry is an American writer and he has got this amazing poem called The Peace of Wild Things. It sort of begins when, when despair for the world grows in me and I wake in the night at the least sound in fear of what my life and my children's lives may be. And it sort of goes on and then, and at the end, he just goes out and lies by the still water. And he says, for a time, I rest in the grace of the world and am free. Yeah. I, I think lots of the nature poets, John Clare and Wordsworth, you know, just speak really beautifully of nature. And that can just be Yeats, the Lake Isle of Innisfree, you kind of escape along with them to their place of peace. <laughs> I was just thinking, I'm going to have to escape along with them because I can't go and lie by the water in Shepherd's Bush. <laughs> so Wendell Berry's my guy. <laughs> yeah. But also, I think it transports you poetry. I think it yeah. just helps you stand in the shoes of what they're writing about, like a novel or any sort of great imaginative work. And I always felt with the war poets at school that they spoke to me so much more than the history lesson. And that mm. I think that it does mean you're sort of standing in their shoes and... Um, and having their experience. So I think you do get transported along with the Yates to Ireland and Wordsworth to the Lake District. And it is a way to just travel and be transported. And poetry can do that, you know, with its spell and everything. I think it's, you know, can be really, really powerful. And a good thing to turn to, I sort of think at three o'clock in the morning, instead of switching on the phone, you know, just a poem, because it can just take you somewhere very peaceful. <laughs> instead of counting sheep, read a poem about sheep. But also, you and I both really love to read and we I, I try really hard to read as much as possible um, because I know I'm happier when I'm reading. But at the moment, I'm really, I'm reading a really good book. I'm not going to name because it it's a really great book. But honestly, I'm reading the same page over and over again. Every night I'm thinking, I have, I feel like I'm sort of stuck in this loop. But actually, there was something quite satisfying about reading a poem and completing it, thinking about it, feeling it, and it's done. And then, you're, you know, in terms of 
not feeling like you're sort of I feel like I'm failing at everything so at least I would just be able to read a poem from start to finish actually complete a task it's quite a sort of thrill nice short poem yes exactly yeah four lines yeah Yeah, it is pleasing so I saw some I think he must have been like some ex-military man when I was sort of scrolling through my phone he was like make your bed in the morning because then you've achieved something already for the day and I thought yeah yeah that is you know, that's true. I'm a big believer in that. I will never leave the house without the bed made. I and just then you think, do you know, feel like, you know, you've started well. And, you know, I think, yeah, I think a poem, you know, if you read it in the morning or at the end of the day, you do sort of think I've sort of read something. And then definitely the earlier books I did, my Poem for Every Night of the Year um, series, which were really family friendly, but there was a little introduction to each poem as well. That many parents said to me, oh, it's so nice at bedtime just to read a poem. Because you sort of think, oh, my God, a whole chapter. It's really tiring. I'm sort of running out of voice. And that you could read a poem, but it's just shorter. There's something um, also, what is it about, you're an anthologist, about the anthology. It's someone's done the collecting for you. Someone's Mm. done the gathering. Someone's done the edit. You're saying something about yourself in the poems that you choose as well. So it's more than than just a curation. It's it's as it's an exposition of what you find beautiful and what has served you and what you feel would be meaningful to share. Yeah, true. I mean, if you sort of look, okay, in this book, I'm not going to have you know umpteen poems by Wordsworth or Caroline Duffy or Nikita Gill. So you know, it does tend to sort of hone in on either of my favourite or what fits the year, because you know I want to have December being a a chapter about celebration. So it's like, oh, okay, I'll choose that poem by Yeats that's about wine and love and celebration. Um, so that sometimes sort of comes in. And does it sort of fit with what I what I want in that order and at that time? It's really fun. It is really fun. And it's really fun discovering new poems each time. And then I also think I do quite a lot of live shows based on it. Oh, this one will be really good when a really good actor reads it. Um, you know this because this one's a really good story and it's got a really funny ending and you know that will be really fun on stage when I do festivals what sort of people Uh, have you wrote in to read your poetry I mean astonishingly brilliant it's been incredibly lucky I do a yearly show at the National Theatre and this year we did it in that in aid of the Ukraine humanitarian appeal and Tom Hiddleston Asa Butterfield Dasha Plahiti from the Ukraine Kate Fleetwood and Shope Dirazu with a lineup. Um, I've had Helen McCrory, who was a really good friend. She read for me like lots of times. Damien Lewis, Helena Bonham Carter. We just did a show at Hay Festival. I mean, like, amazing actors. I think that actors on the whole, I mean, I don't want to speak for them, but I think they sort of tend to get poetry and that appreciate their really good lines. Also, you can um, show off a bit when you're reading poetry. <laughs> yeah. With respect, you can. Yeah, I think that you get... Um, you get a good variety to read in a show. Mm. You know, you get to sort of, you know, be funny, emotional, sad. You know. And so I, I have been really, really lucky. Um, and they do bring a lot to it. You know, they do the work. I always think if you read a Shakespeare play, it can be really difficult, but you go and see a really good production. They've done the work for you, mm. just, you know, making sense of it all. And yes. I think sometimes, you know, there's a similar thing with poetry. You know, the actor's done the work of interpreting it. And so they make it more easy to understand. But I also think that um, learning poems by heart for all of us is a really good thing. I mean, you feel really, really pleased with yourself. You've got a poem by heart. Your Judy Dench, I think, famously learns a sonnet a day or a sonnet a week or something. But again, you know, you just feel so good, like such a sense of achievement. And I see when I go into schools that 
all kids can learn a poem. They don't, they're not sort of daunted, they don't find it difficult. And it's not the most academic ones that deliver a poem well. And that's really pleasing too. Mm. Um, I'd feel like, I mean, astonished with myself if I could learn well, maybe a poem. Maybe we should. I know. I'm just thinking, gosh, and we could then like message Ali. I mean, we should get Ali. the next day. It wouldn't matter. We'd be learning another one. <laughs> we could yeah. show off to Ali in, in our next Zoom with her saying, look, we've learned a poem. Yes, yeah, start, yes. I've got a good short one that you and your listeners could start with. And um, it sits in the anthology on December the 1st, which is the theme of celebrations. And it's by Yeats and it's called A Drinking Song. And it's six short lines. That's it. Okay. And it'd be really fun. And it could then also become your sort of dinner party trick because it's a toast. (laughs) It's a toast. Ah, Yeah. Nice. Yeah. A Drinking Song by W.B. Yeats. Wine comes in at the mouth and love comes in at the eye. That's all we shall know for truth before we grow old and die. I lift the glass to my mouth. I look at you and I sigh. Well, that doesn't feel too tricky. I'm sure we could do that. (laughs) I love this. And I think it would be really good for like new neural pathways, which you're always telling me that I should. I know, I'm worried about my lack of, distinct lack of neuroplasticity. I get, I'm sure lots of people get messages, WhatsApp messages, emails quite often saying, I've got to do a reading at a wedding. Any ideas? Um, Any yeah, ideas, so many. Any? Yeah, yeah, so many ideas. So many ideas. I mean, alongside the ones that are quite easily found when you're sort of Googling around, you know, yes. readings for weddings. Yeah, I mean, they're sort of just brilliant ones. I've got quite a lot that I put in. Seamus Heaney one called Scaffolding, which is sort of brilliant. And it sort of, you know, ends with, never fear, we may let the scaffolds fall, confident that we have built our wall. Oh. And um, that's... A, a really, really good poem. There is um, Alice Oswald, who she was the Oxford Professor of Poetry, which is probably the second most prestigious post in poetry after the Poet Laureate. And she's got, she wrote a sonnet called Wedding. Neil Gaiman has written a couple of brilliant poems for weddings. One's called Dark Sonnet and one's called Wedding Thoughts, All I Know About Love. And it's really clever. It sort of starts with, this is everything I have to tell you about love. Nothing. This is everything I've learned about marriage. Nothing. And then it sort of goes on about how, well, it's complicated, but somebody's got your back. Um, That's a really, really good, like, you know, less known one. And then I also love this poem, Atlas, by UA Fanthorpe, who was a woman poet who died in 2009. And similar to Wendy Hope, like really gifted has funny bones and it begins there's a kind of love called maintenance which stores the wd-40 and knows when to use it and it sort of goes on for that that (laughs) advice um but very uplifting so there are you know really good ones that i think speak to people today and caroline duffy who was our first scottish lesbian poet laureate who speaks famously about subjects that hadn't been written about, you know, by any poet laureate before. And she's got a love poem called Words Wide Night. Um, And actually, you don't necessarily know who she's speaking to, but it's a really, really beautiful love poem. When And it sort of ends with saying, for I am in love with you, and this is what it is like, or what it is like in words. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so there are... There are lots today and I, I'm often asked and I love, I love being asked for, you know, prescription for a wedding. 
Well, well that's very good to know. Yes, Someone exactly. To turn. Yeah, but yeah. also p- part of the fun of poetry, isn't it, is when you find yourself going on a hunt. You know, you can do a lot of it on Google now, but it's quite nice also to actually, you know, take yourself off to a bookshop and flick through some physical books and smell the paper and really, you know, experience it that way. I think, I think you know, poetry, there's some, poetry can be very modern, but it, it has, an, it has a, there's a quaintness to the idea of, mm. of, of seeking it, isn't there? Well, it's sort of a library feel, isn't yeah. it? There's something about, I don't know, I think I found most of my poems actually from being in a library and by yeah. the poetry section or whatever, rather than actually just finding the complete works of someone. Yeah. Do you know yeah. what I mean? So it's nice. There's something very intimidating about the complete works of anyone. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah, true. It's just sort of daunting. Like, where am I supposed to begin? It's too many, too many, too we, much. We're all given, like, weren't we, the complete works of Shakespeare that sort of sat there untouched, like a again, brick. Again, just too big, probably. Too if it was just big. one play, you might have, yeah, too big. Individual volumes. I mean, after all, Shakespeare didn't publish all of his work together. That happened after he died. I think a yeah. little bit of poetry... Is also makes a really good present. Mm. And yeah, I think bookshops, you know, you know, poetry does really struggle. You know, it's normally can be even really difficult to find in the poetry shop. You know, it's right at the back, often on a shelf next to jokes or something. Yes. I was in a bookshop the other day and it was on the floor on the lowest shelf, which means yeah. you have to really inelegantly yeah. like crouch down while oh. looking for mm. it, which is and you know, with the risk of not being able to get back up again. Yeah. <laughs> it's really not like a sort of you're like, really? Am I stooping this low to try yes. and find and I knew I was looking for a poetry anthology for someone for you know, who was sad and and that that I thought that this might be a kind of, you know, a, a gift of love that said I know you're sad, but without saying that, if you know what I mean. Mm. So it's sort of, um, so that's interesting that I went there. But yeah, no, literally like hunched underneath thinking, wow. It's interesting, isn't it? If there's certain, we all have friends and people we love who find themselves in situations and it's, and we feel helpless. Yeah. And sometimes if you can't find the words, you could send a poem. Yeah. It does sometimes feel a bit sort of safer. Yeah. I can't find the words, but this great poet has found the words. Yes. Yes. I mean, um, I've been scribbling down all the poems you've been writing whilst we're slightly snivelling this end. Um, so I'm going to go off and find, you know, dig around and, 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 and have a look. And Ali, thank you so much for coming to talk to us. Oh, um, uh, Ali's lovely. book, 365 Poems for Life, an uplifting collection for every day of the year, is out in October. And I feel that I feel I've had a kind of reconnection today. Yeah, it's been absolutely lovely. Yeah, thank you thank so you. much, Ellie. And we're going to come to you with all sorts of requests. <laughs> yeah, any time. So regret anytime. saying that. No, I won't. I And we're going to learn it. Yes, we're going to, we'll come. We'll, we'll be on your doorstep reciting. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much, and see you soon. I hope. Thank okay, you. Thanks so much. Bye. You've been listening to Annabel Rifkin and Emily McMeekin of the Middle. Our book, I'm Absolutely Fine, is out now. If you like what you hear, please rate, review and subscribe. Hi, my name is Kay Adams and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process. So I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip (laughs) off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.